Matthew 9, 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Every good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Welcome those of you at our East service, those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. I love uh, being a part of this church. I hope you do too. Last Sunday was just amazing for me. Uh, 49 people uh, were baptized last Sunday. One of them was my, yeah, thanks. One of them was my grandson, Liam. It was such a privilege to baptize him. And I know that Liam invited a bunch of his friends to come and witness. We had one young woman uh, who had 55 friends and family members here to witness her baptism. All right. <laughs> you have to hold the applause because I got other stuff. Uh, three college kids who uh, just decided to follow Jesus a couple of weeks ago decided to be baptized together. 17 out of the 49 people who were baptized were students, middle school, high school, college students. And I tell you that because when we cast the vision for Reimagine, what we want our church to be like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, I said, what would it be like to have a dozen high school kids all lined up on the same Sunday to be baptized? And then the next Sunday, have a dozen people in their 50s and 60s and 70s lined up to be baptized. What would that be like? This last weekend, 49 people were baptized. They ranged in age from 12 to 72. Keep your eyes peeled because God is doing something now. Eight more people have already signed up for baptism. Our next baptism service is in August. If you are here and you are ready to go all in with Jesus, August is for you. Go to the Next Steps area and just tell them, sign me up. I'm ready. All right? Very cool. All right. We are starting a new series, a four-week series called Conversations with Jesus. We're looking at four conversations that Jesus has with people who are not Christians, who are far away from God. And we're doing it for two reasons. One is if you are here or you are watching or listening and you are not yet a Christian, I don't know what you think about Christians. I don't know what your impression is of them. What I want you to do is look for yourself in one of these conversations. And I want you to see how Jesus feels about you. That's one thing. The other reason that we're doing this is that those of us who are followers of Jesus uh, get a chance to see the heart of Jesus as he has these conversations with people who are far away from him. Because the goal of discipleship is to become more like Jesus. That's what we all want. All right, this first conversation is one that Jesus has with Matthew. Right, we just had it read for you. 
Well, one of the interesting things is that this is uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So this is Matthew's account of his encounter with Jesus. And I have three points, and I'll give you my three points. This is for those of you who take notes or just so you know where I'm going. I want to talk about what Jesus says to Matthew, what Jesus does for Matthew, and then finally what Jesus is teaching all of us. What Jesus says to Matthew, what Jesus does for Matthew, and what Jesus is teaching all of us. All right, first, what Jesus says to Matthew. What Jesus says to Matthew is simply, follow me. Follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him, which is just remarkable, right? That it's just amazing that he would get up and follow him. Now, we don't know how much Matthew knew about Jesus at the time. We don't know if, Jesus, if Matthew was in the crowd when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. We don't know if Matthew knew or talked to somebody who had been healed by Jesus. We don't know if Matthew had been following Jesus from a distance. We do know that his relationship with Jesus did not really start until he heard the call from Jesus and responded. And that's true of you too. You can come to church your whole life. You can never remember a time when you did not believe in Christianity. But real life, real change, real Christianity does not start until you hear the call and respond to the call. And what I'm saying is this, that Christianity is not a set of beliefs that you adhere to. Christianity is a person who is beckoning you to come to him. And when you realize that, you are hearing the call. Oh, by the way, if you are here or you are watching, and every once in a while you get emotional. Like you, you don't really understand, you're not really sure about Christianity, but during worship or during, during something in the service, you start to feel your chest tighten or your eyes begin to water, and you don't know why. This is why. That's the beginning of a call. The beginning of a call. So Matthew... Uh, follows Jesus, and they go to Matthew's home, and that's important. And they go to Matthew's home to eat, and that's also important, because in that culture, sitting down and eating with somebody was a really big deal. Now, having somebody into your home for a meal is still a big deal kind of in our culture, but there are some cultures where it's like on steroids. I, uh, Karen, my wife, and I had dinner one time with some people who are from Italian descent. And they uh, told us before the meal, they said, listen, uh, we're going to do this uh, the way Italians do it. It's going to take three hours. Uh, Just tell you up front, right? And that's because Italians see food as sacred and, you know, like an art form. But when you get up from the table after three hours of an Italian meal, you're different. You're not just a little bit thicker because of all the pasta, right? You're knit together relationally in a way that you weren't when you sat down. That's what happens here in the first century. And the other thing with Matthew is that his home was built back then. They would have a courtyard, and and Jesus would have dinner in the courtyard with Matthew so that everybody could see. Like all his neighbors, everybody knew that Jesus had come to Matthew's house for a meal, right? That's why the Pharisees were there. They never hung out around Matthew's house. They were only there because they knew Jesus had come into his home, into the very center of where Matthew lives. Listen, you do not really 
have a call from Jesus. You have not really responded to the call unless Jesus is right in the center of your life and everyone knows it. That every friend, there's not a single friend or family member or neighbor or coworker that does not know that Jesus is right in the center of your life. And if that seems over the top, let me put it this way. I know there are some Steeler fans who go to this church. Right? right here in the midst of Brown's country. And the reason I know that is because they will wear their Steeler gear inside these sacred walls. <laughs> and they do it because they want everybody to know, this is my team. They want to say, this is how I identify myself. I am a Steeler fan. I don't care who knows. I want everybody to know. Can I tell you this? This doesn't just go for Steeler fans. But if more people know what football team you love than know you love Jesus, something's wrong. Right? If more people know what football team you love than that you love Jesus, then something's wrong. Matthew responds to Jesus' call, and Jesus goes right into the center of his life. And everybody knows. The other thing, in responding to a call, you can look at it like this. You can look at it almost the way we talk about being on call. Like uh, here at CCC, we have a pastor of the day where uh, they get a phone and uh, they are to respond to any and all emergencies. So if they get a call on that phone, they're to drop whatever they're doing and go and respond. Right? That's like a doctor. Right? When you are on call... Your life is no longer your own. You don't get to do what you want. You have to respond to the call. It's so many times when people become Christians, we begin treating Jesus as if he is on call for us. But here in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says, this is where I remember it. Jesus came to me and he said, follow me. It was like my phone went off and I got up and I followed him. This is one of the reasons that I love the word reimagine. I know some of you are still trying to get used to it. But I like the word reimagine because it helps me. Like um, when I see that commercial that's uh, you know, banking reimagined, I always think that if they're serious, they will go into every part of that bank and say, is this the way banking should be? Is this the way we want it to be? Is it all it could be? And that's the way... I think we should view Jesus, that Jesus, when he comes into the center of your life, when you respond to his call, then he comes into every aspect. He comes into your friendships and says, is this the way it should be with me here with you? Your parenting, your working, your hobbies, your family, everything. Jesus comes into every aspect of your life and says, if I'm the center, if I am with you in this, how does it change? How does it become what it could be, should be? What you really want it to be, right? That's the first thing. What Jesus says to Matthew. The second thing is what Jesus does for Matthew. What he does for Matthew. So Jesus takes Matthew to his own house and he says, we're going to have dinner. And they have dinner and, and Matthew is there with all of his friends, other tax collectors. And, and the Pharisees are there, right? And the Pharisees ask a question. And the question is this, what are you doing being with them? What are you doing with them? That's such a rude question. 
You know, he, they don't like take Jesus aside and say, Jesus, we just want to ask you something. Just what, what, what's going on? Why are you having dinner? They say it out loud. It's like Matthew and his friends are going, we can hear you. We're right here. Why do they ask that question? What would make them feel so strongly that they would look at somebody and say, what? it's like me looking at somebody and going, why are you sitting with them? Right? Now, I know they're Pharisees, and I know, you know, if you know anything about the New Testament, you think Pharisees, yeah, of course, right? Pharisees are like the whipping boys of the New Testament. We always roll our eyes when we think about Pharisees. What's interesting is that uh, very few people ever think that they might be the Pharisee in the story. But let me tell you this. The longer you've been a Christian, the more serious you are about your faith, the better you know your Bible the more likely you are to be a Pharisee. That hurts, doesn't it? Let's look at it from the Pharisee's perspective, though. Give them the benefit of the doubt. What are they trying to say to Jesus? You know, sociologists have done a lot of studies on how our relationships impact what we believe and how we act. In one study, and I don't remember where I read it, I tried to find it, but um, one study said this, and it has stuck with me, that you are the moral average of your five closest friends. I find that interesting. You are the moral average of your five closest friends. That makes sense, right? Like if you are um, a parent and you have a daughter and your daughter brings home a new friend and that new friend is into everything bad, I mean everything, and you see it right away, what do you do? Well, you're gonna try to limit their time together because you know that bad company corrupts good morals, right? It always works like that, right? And so maybe the Pharisees, that's what they're trying to say to Jesus. Jesus, look who you're hanging out with. Don't you see? Don't you know that bad company corrupts good? Maybe they're trying to help Jesus. Maybe they're, they're just confused by Jesus' actions and the way he's acting is doing violence to them. Oh, and that's something else. That you ought to expect the real Jesus to do violence to you sometimes. I mean, the, the real Jesus may do violence to your politics. The real Jesus may do violence to the way you see race relations. The real Jesus may do violence to the way you see the world. Expect it. It's crazy for you not to when you read the New Testament and how everybody, especially people who were serious about their faith, were confused sometimes by Jesus. Right? But Jesus is trying to say, or the, the Pharisees are trying to say, don't you see what's going to happen? But Matthew's writing this. Right? This is Matthew's account of this encounter with Jesus. And this is in chapter 9. In chapter 8, Matthew uh, writes another story. It's, it's a very short story. It only takes four verses. And this is what he says in chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. All right. Jesus goes to a leper and a leper was interesting because a leper not only was diseased, it was a contagious disease. And we all know how contagious diseases work, right? That's why 
Everybody's wearing a mask. Because the way contagious diseases work is that the, the diseased make the healthy diseased. Right? When you have COVID, you don't go to a room full of healthy people hoping their health will rub off on you, that you will catch their health. But Jesus goes to this man who's a leper, and he touches him, and he reverses everything. He says, my health will overwhelm your disease. Jesus comes, and he says, my holiness will overwhelm your unholiness. And that's what he does to Matthew. The Pharisees say, no, don't you see what's going to happen? And Jesus says, no, you don't understand who I am and what I've come to do. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And my holiness will overwhelm their unholiness. That's what I've come to do. But Jesus does something else for Matthew. And I think this is the most, maybe the most moving thing to me. Jesus, by going to Matthew's home, is giving the message to the Pharisees that Matthew is my friend. Matthew is my friend. Do you have any idea what that meant to Matthew? Pastor Zach talked about it last week, where he said, Jesus is on the throne as the king, but he's also your friend. And to have your friend on the throne means good things for you. Right? Jesus is saying, Matthew is my friend. And this is what struck me this week. Jesus is saying, I don't just love Matthew. I like Matthew. I think sometimes we think that Jesus loves us, and he has to because he's Jesus, and that he kind of holds his nose when he loves us. That's not true. Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. And if Jesus was here now, he would hang out with you. All right, so that's what Jesus says to Matthew. It's what Jesus does for Matthew. Finally, what Jesus is teaching all of us. Jesus is always teaching, right? And here he happens to be teaching the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious people, were the church-going people of the first century. So uh, again, he's probably talking to us, to some of us. The, the more, the longer you've been a Christian, the more you know your Bible, the, the more serious you are about your faith, the more likely you are to be in the group that Jesus is going to try to teach here. And Jesus teaches them in a way that they do not expect and they do not want. Right, Jesus says to them, listen, go and find out what this says, what this means. And then he quotes the Bible. He says, go find out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What Jesus is saying is this, to really understand the Bible, you will never really understand what the Bible says, no matter how much you study it, unless you understand the heart of the author of the Bible. And Jesus is saying to them, look at my heart. I love sinners. I love sinners. It's why I have come. Listen, when we say with our reimagined vision that we are praying for 10,000 people who do not presently know Jesus to come to know Jesus in this surrounding community, we are praying something that's right smack dab in the heart of Jesus. And if we are going to accomplish that, we have to all have the heart of Jesus as well. So what does it mean 
that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Let me give you three things I think it means. The first thing it means is to quit dividing the world. Quit dividing the world between us and them. That's what the Pharisees came and said. They said, Jesus, don't you understand? There's good people and there's bad people. Matthew's bad people. Stay away from him. We keep dividing the world. It's almost impossible now. It's maybe worse than it's ever been in my lifetime. We divide people all the time. We divide people politically between liberals and conservatives. And whatever group you're at, the other are the enemy. The other are bad and you are good. We divide people into people who see racism everywhere and people who see racism nowhere. And we divide, we divide people by whether they want to wear masks or not, whether they want to be vaccinated or not. And Jesus cries out, mercy, mercy, stop. Stop dividing the world into us and them because Jesus says, I came for them and I came for you, which means there is only one group and it's all the people I've come for, don't you see? So that's the first thing, quit dividing the world. The second thing, I think, to desire mercy and not sacrifice is to get close to somebody who's far away. Get close to somebody who's far away. Matthew is far away from God. Everybody knew that, right? Jesus goes to Matthew. Uh, my older brother, Brian, <clears throat> wrote this book. It's called Splendor in the Ordinary. He wrote it 30 years ago. And I always remember, like, uh, in his last chapter, he talks about uh, a guy who was in his freshman dorm uh, named Charlie Crone. And I love this story. And this way, my brother tells it. He says, the year was 1974. And then he, he describes what the year was like, which you don't need to know. And then he describes Charlie. He says, Charlie was about five foot four with sandy blonde hair and red-rimmed eyes. He was also the most profligate sinner I'd ever met in person. I mean, Charlie was a party reptile. He cussed like a sailor, my apologies to sailors, and drank with a frat house flourish. Marijuana smoke wafted underneath his closed door nearly every night until the wee hours. And he regularly had his girlfriend in for days at a time, and they weren't studying. For some reason, I also remember he was an English major. Now, Charlie also happened to be a nice guy, a good old boy. He laughed a lot, got decent grades, and seemed to have plenty of friends, but Charlie was about as far from being interested in Jesus as anyone you could imagine. And then my brother finishes his story about Charlie, where he says this, the year is 1987, that's 13 years later. While flipping through the monthly alumni publication, my eyes fell upon the following entry in the notes for our class of 1978. Charlie Crone, class of 78, and his wife will begin their first term with Wycliffe Bible translators this fall. They'll be serving in West Africa. My old foul-mouthed, pot-smoking, profligate classmate Charlie had become a missionary, a Bible translator. That's when I remembered he was an English major. Right? <laughs> to this day, my brother will say, someone went to Charlie. Someone didn't think he was so far away that he would never be interested in Jesus but it wasn't me. And my brother regrets that to this day, that he was not the one to tell Charlie that, there was a, that he had a savior who loved him, who would be his friend. Listen, 
There isn't a single family member or friend or neighbor or coworker that is so far away from Jesus that Jesus cannot reach them and does not want to reach them. So if we are going to have the heart of Jesus, we need to get close to people who are far away. And the final thing, if we are really going to to love mercy and not sacrifice, we have to remind, I want you to remind yourself every single day that if Jesus can love you, can forgive you, can change you, that means Jesus can love them Forgive them and change them, whoever they are, whoever they are. Listen, in this very first conversation that Jesus has, he goes to Matthew and he says, follow me. Matthew hears a call, not a set of beliefs, a person who is beckoning him, come to me. That's the way it starts. You need to hear the call and respond to that call Jesus goes right into the center of his life, changes everything about Matthew. Then Jesus does something for Matthew. Jesus' holiness overwhelms his unholiness. Jesus calls him his friend. He does that for you too. But then Jesus teaches all of us something. And he's teaching all of us, if you want my heart, know this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Quit dividing the world. Know that if Jesus can love you, can forgive you, can change you, he can love your neighbor, change your neighbor. He can love your coworker, love your friend, love your classmate. Change them, forgive them, all of them. All 10,000 of them. Let's be that. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and I'm so grateful for the conversations that you have with people that were recorded. I'm grateful that Matthew tells this story and all that it meant in Matthew's life to have you come and call him by name. I pray that the people who are here who have not heard your call will hear it now, loud and clear, and that they will follow you. I pray for all of us that we will get your heart inside of us and begin to reach out to people to let them know that they have a Savior who loves them, calls them by name, and will be their friend. You are a wonderful Savior. And we worship you and praise you now. We pray this in your name. Amen.